Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Waterford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I'll be chatting with someone who works behind the scenes in sport, helping people to maximise their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their clients are winning too. In this episode, I'm catching up with sports scientist and personal trainer, Dominic Munnelly. Dominic, welcome to the podcast. Bruce, thanks for having me on. No, it's my pleasure to have you on. Um, I was, as we were talking before we started the, the recording there, um, the reason I invited you onto the podcast is we have a, a number of students who are studying modules. They're, they're working to become personal trainers at the moment. And it's been kind of tricky on lockdown and, and, and working remotely to give them the full spectrum of, uh, of information that we want. So I thought it'd be nice to invite some, some people who are established in their careers uh, onto the podcast to have a chat about what it is they do, how they go about doing it, and maybe see if we can pass on some wisdom to our students who are just starting out. So together with your wife, Gronje, you guys run a health and wellness business. Perhaps we might start by just talking about that. Tell us about what services you provide. Uh, Bruce, we kind of offer really the full range of things. So I suppose before um, my wife came on board, which is about four or five years ago now, um, it was mainly just personal training, small group training. Um, and then when my wife came on board, she um, is ex-IBM and worked for them for over 20 years in consulting. So she's definitely the, the brains of the operation and it's improved um, our business in, a, in such a huge way in, in that period of time. But then in that process, she brought on board a lot more um, nutrition and then the kind of soft skills of wellness, such as, um, you know, helping people with you know, with coping with resilience and work, that sort of side of things. So that kind of brought in some of the corporate audience for us then as well. She also is then a qualified chef. Um, so it gave us th- that avenue of the obviously nutrition and meals. And, and then also um, during uh, lockdown, she's been doing some uh, live cooking uh, classes then as well, which is again, another avenue for us on the corporate side of things. So some of the offers have changed in the last year than what we were doing in the past, but in general, lockdown um, has kind of brought some negative, but also some positive changes for us. That's interesting to hear. Yeah, a, a few people have been saying that. But I personally, I found uh, lockdown to be, well, yeah, there are negatives. But from a work point of view, I feel like I'm being a little bit more effective and efficient uh, mm. just in the structure of my day and, and how things are. So, yeah, it's not all bad. No, certainly not. Yeah. O- on that. So what, what does a typical day look, for, look, look like for you at the moment? At the moment, um, it means that I'm up and I'm teaching live uh, in a 40 minute workout uh, at 7 a.m. So I'm typically up at 6 um, just get the cats fed and uh, we have two cats and um, and then I kind of it takes a bit of time obviously to kind of set up your mic get your mat like just get everything ready and planned um, typically I probably I'm programming about maybe a month in advance so I kind of know pretty far out as to what I'm doing but um, I just you know quickly remind myself I don't like looking at anything when I'm working out because Mainly when I'm teaching live, people are just watching me and I just want me on the screen. I don't want like 15 boxes because it's much easier to coach when there's a big version of me that people can see and not like hundreds of little boxes or, you know, a number of them. So uh, set that up, do my 40 minutes and then the day can consist of. Uh, of one-to-one Zoom sessions or uh, corporate work like we had there today. Um, 
and yeah, and that's uh, and then during the lockdown, during the last nine weeks, it was I was uh, got rolled into doing live kids classes for half an hour because both myself and my wife coach in our local athletics club as well, which obviously we do for free and voluntary, and the whole country is run on voluntary, uh, voluntary work like that. So things might change a little bit when we get back, but in the past I was doing more uh, group based sort of stuff. Um, I definitely won't be returning to any of that since we transferred a lot of people from our group stuff onto um, onto live uh, daily workouts. And I think that's been a, actually a really positive change because now I can, I can work with far more people um, in that 40 minutes. And, uh, and then though that week is kind of how we structure the entire week of training um, is quite unique, I think, and maybe it's something we can kind of get into as well. But that's pretty typical of what a, of what a week can consist of. Yeah, that's yeah. There's loads of stuff there that I want to dig into. So, um, may, let's start there. You mentioned with the small group training that so that that's the stuff I won't say you used to do, but you said you would have done more of it in the past. Would that yeah. be you going to a gym and working in small groups with your clients? Yes, yeah. So it would be generally that let's say you go into you're you're working in a normal gym. It could be a commercial gym. We happen to be. Uh, I was working with another girl. We happen to be working from a CrossFit gym in Dublin here in Sandyford, and and that would generally consist of working with uh, about five people in a session. Um, and that was done every day. Uh, again, first thing in the morning, but. The problem with that is you're always restricted by the numbers. We were restricted by the numbers because it's because there was a CrossFit class going on, or even if you were in a commercial gym, it's not like as if you can have 20 people in that session. So you're immediately kind of restricted by, uh, I suppose, your revenue then straight away. So now with having everything online, I can we can work with far more people. I can work with people I've never worked with before. So there's people I now work with that I never worked with before because it was too far away for them. So I've got people in Galway, Cork, Florida, Sweden, sorry, Norway, uh, the UK um, that we now work with that it would have never been a, a revenue income for us at all. Yeah, so that, that's great that that's opened up those uh, those avenues to you. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I wanted to dig into maybe a little bit on this, we might talk more in more in depth about this now. So you said you program a month in advance. So how, how do you, let's, the basics, how do you go about that? Would you sit down for a day or for a weekend and do a big block of programming? Or would you do it once a day for, you know, a month in advance, that, that day, a month in advance? Or how do you approach that? Yeah, so in terms of the, the overall programming side of things, um, the way in which we would structure, structure our daily workouts. So I suppose we have a kind of a couple of different layers of what we offer. So one of the layers is we have a private Facebook page where I post a week of programming and it's posted every Sunday in a week in advance. So people can, let's say people who are very compliant, they just want the program, they'll go, I know what I want to do and they'll have their six days on the Facebook program. And that's kind of a, our flat offering and that has a certain price per month. The second layer to that would be our daily workout where I am physically coaching you through that session. It doesn't matter if you do it live. The recording is also then sent on to you afterwards so you don't have to do it live. Okay, so that's a second layer. A third layer then would obviously be our one-to-one -one training um, and that's probably where it becomes a little bit more prescriptive um, whereas the previous two layers, we're not looking to try and make that as prescriptive because you just simply can't. You're dealing with a lot more people. So you have to kind of look at okay, what do people tend to need more of? What do people tend to need less of? If you go and you talk to physiotherapists, what are they seeing as major issues with a lot of people? So 
I think in general, um, specificity in programming or individuality needs to be earned. It's not it's not a jump off point for a lot of people. Um, it is if people have certain conditions, but overall the basics should still remain the same. So if you're dealing with a beginner, will they need work on loosening their hips? Yes. Will they need more pulling movements and pushing movements? Yes. So there's certain kind of absolutes that exist within training for the average individual because we're dealing with a lot of average people. But even when I've worked with athletes, I still see the same deficiencies. So then over the course of, let's say, our typical six days, um, if we're getting uh, people to try and get in six days of activity, and I try and move away even from calling things exercise anymore because there's this issue with people calling anything to do with uh, do with movement as exercise. There's a, almost a reluctance by people to do anything that's called exercise. So we just say movement. We just want you to move every day. So our Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the movement tends to be of a slightly higher capacity, whereas the Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays are more accessory work, more mobility work, um, but it still gets people to move about 40 minutes every day. Um, and then what we're looking for is a nice balance between the three main elements which we constantly come back to, which are form our hierarchy of fitness, which is our improving your mobility, improving your conditioning. Conditioning, as you know, some people would call fitness, but the proper term, in my opinion, is, is conditioning. And then the, the third part is strength. And what I feel most people do when they approach their overall, air quotes now, fitness, is that they put getting their heart rate up on a high priority and they put strength and mobility on a really, really low or non-existent priority. And people seem to be happy as long as they can run continuously for half an hour, which is great, but I just don't see that as a very broad view of fitness. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely more to it than that. And you've hit off a lot of things there that I'm I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say. Um, so let's see, on, on your website, and it's coming through here in what you're saying, on the, on the website, there's a quote that says you're passionate about the fundamentals of movement. And I think that's clear there when you when you say, when you, when you mention what you focus on with your clients. And I like the way you put it there saying that, you know, that your, your specificity or your individualization in the program has to be earned. So I think what you're saying there, get the basics right, and then you can start to dig into that a little bit more. Am I, is that kind of your philosophy on us? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in, in the same way, intensity has to be earned. So that's why I find it a little bit frustrating when you see people posting workouts and it's all about high intensity interval training or it's extreme. You know, that's not the jump off when you've got a population that 50% of the Irish population at an absolute minimum are not even meeting the minimum requirements for activity. So, you know, to, to, it, I think it, it does personal trainers and fitness people, they don't care what area you work in. It's a huge disservice to the average person if you're presenting exercise in the most miserable way possible. So it's, it doesn't help anybody to do that. You're not making it any more attractive. That's all ego driven. So what we want to do is flip what we see as the hierarchy of importance in terms of of overall fitness. And when you start to think about it more and more, we, we, we should kind of, you know, delve into this and talk to physios, talk to different people, and, and you'll see the same deficiencies. You'll see, okay, most people, if we look at the body as a joint by joint, and we, we cover this, we cover this with all our clients, is to get them to understand that the ankle joint is a mobile joint, we need to get that. Um, mobile, the knee joint is a stable joint, and it moves like that from mobility to stability, mobility to stability, up the chain. So it's about assessing people and then kind of saying, okay, well, you know, most people need a bit more range in the ankle, hip, and the T-spine. How are we addressing that? Um, and is, you know, uh, are, are people going to end up doing more pushing movements and pulling movements? So, 
you know, there's a lot of basics that just apply to a large number of people. Um, and it's about trying to give them that to start with. And then that can change or we can what we, you know, I'm sure you understand the, the, the idea of auto regulate according to what's going on in, in, in each person's individual life. But we can't auto regulate if the personal trainer isn't giving or the trainer isn't giving permission to the client or the customer to do the permission to do less. So I would always strongly encourage people to understand where the body is on a day-to-day basis. If they want to use HRV readings, if they want to use just a resting heart rate to understand that, great. But overall, it's probably not 100% necessary for a lot of people. As long as we give people permission to do what they feel like doing, that's going to build compliance. And ultimately, that's my huge measure of, um, of progress with individuals. But that is one of my questions for you is how, how do you go about measuring progress? What's- all I care about is consistency. That's all I care about. I do not care about your body fat. I do not care about your burpees. I don't care about your back squat. I don't care about your deadlift. All I care about is are we getting in consistent sessions? You can have all the debates over is West Side Barbell training better for my back squat than doing 531? You know, is should I be doing, you know, um, some form of anaerobic threshold training versus more aerobic work in my conditioning? Like it's all moot. It doesn't really matter at all. What matters is it's like a, we had a client there this week and uh, never worked with her before, before lockdown. And her kids have been doing all of our live workouts uh, for the last nine weeks. So it's two sessions a week, so 18 sessions total. They, her kids have been on every single session. She said she's seen a huge improvement in her kids. I said, thank you so much. And she said, by the way, this week, this week I will have done my 300th live workout with you. That's 300 workouts in a year. Now that's, you, there's no way you're not seeing massive progress in doing 300 workouts. You're going to see huge progress in, in, in getting that kind of consistency. So it's really, I think, a huge um, stumbling block for a lot of personal trainers um, and people that work within fitness is how do I create a program that allows for the highest degree of consistency and uh, uh, and uh, using that as a, a measure of your progress, not intensity. So a phrase we tend to use an awful lot of is consistency trumps intensity. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you're saying there. And I was only uh, yesterday I was given a, 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 a session not not unlike this just to another group of people. And I was saying, you know, if you if you're if your starting point is nothing, anything is better than nothing. Yeah. So and what we want to do is build in systems that make sure that you can have a really, really low barrier to success but consistently succeed and then mm. you can, it'll become a habit and you can build on that habit over time. And it's all, it's more about, it's not about getting someone who's never exercised before to go and run 5k in their first training session and then they can't move for four days after that because they're so sore. If they did 500 meters and then built that up gradually over a couple of weeks, consistency trumps intensity, as you said. Absolutely. And, and the worst design program done with incredible consistency always produces results. So when Mary says, well, I did salsa dancing for the last six weeks and it's the best thing since sliced bread, you go, absolutely great. I'm so delighted. Do whatever you can do consistently. And that tends to morph into other things that you can then do. You know, so we don't want people to just have their fitness within a gym setting or a home setting. We want to we want them to be able to use that increased capacity for life. So that's a huge part of what we teach also then as well is that we would say to people, you know, when it comes to, let's say, a specific goal, like let's say fat loss. OK, we would say, look, we don't talk about fat loss unless 
you can sort your set your three main S's out first. You got to sort your sleep out. You got to sort your level of stress out. And you're going to sort your social your social um, uh, uh, connection out. So if you don't have those three things lined up, then all you're doing is you're adding fuel to the fire, and you're then you're asking the body that let's say is already struggling to then go into something like a calorie deficit, which would be necessary for some fat loss. So that's an area again my wife deals in 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 in, in with more than me and. Um, it's certainly it's a huge huge part of what we teach them as well so whether making these changes right now are appropriate for what's going on in your life right now so if I had a client yet let's say yesterday and they clients know to tell me this they'll go well the last couple of days I had this amount of sleep and this amount of sleep there's three days in a row so have I any business in doing anything with him that day that has a high degree of intensity zero no really really bad idea so again, over the last year, the biggest change that guy has made, this is a guy, again, who works for a multinational company and working all the hours. He said he just doesn't get injured anymore because anytime he was getting injured in the past was always on the back of poor sleep and a lot of excess travel from work. It's, yeah, you know, again, you're just ticking boxes here in, in, in what you say. I'm, I'm nodding away and agreeing with everything that you say. So... Let's take it on a step further. So someone comes to you and they, they, they've agreed to start working with you. Um, they've, let's say they, they've, they've gone through your basics. How yeah. do you develop that, that relationship with the clients that you get to let, you know, it's from what you're saying there, you obviously get to know your clients well, you get to know them personally. How do you approach that after that initial consultation? How do you go about getting to know yeah. them so that you can, you know, be, a, be effective as a trainer with them? Yeah, I, I would say there's probably two things here, though, that I don't get to know everybody personally. That's the reality. So if I'm dealing with, let's say, I don't know, let's let's say it's 100 people on my live workouts. I don't know them all personally. I honestly don't. You can't get to know them all personally. So I think, again, it comes back to, you know, when I'm teaching live, it's for them to understand how I'm teaching is representative of my relationship then with them. So again, I'm giving them permission to take it easy. I'm saying, hey, tomorrow's going to be a light day. We need to show up and get yourself prepared then for the harder day. So there's us giving permission. And it's about setting the program up well enough that the person can automatically get success. Whereas if we're setting it up in a poor way, which doesn't align with recognizing what and acknowledging the amount of work that you did yesterday, if it's a hard day, then we need to flip that and and have an easier day. And for me, a lot of the work in which we do is based on a kind of a polarized system of training where, you know, it's the Steven Seiler sort of model of 80-20. So 80% of our sessions are done at a low to medium intensity and only 20% are done at a very high intensity. That's what hot professional athletes do. So the reality is, is you're not going to get to know uh, all of your clients that well um, unless you're dealing with them for a specific goal like my wife does. Then you're going to get to know them a little bit, a little bit better because it's a more detailed sort of a thing. So unless I'm working with somebody one to one, I'm not going to get to know them that well. So then it's on my back to sit down, design the, the program well enough in advance that acknowledges the intensity which we work on every day has to vary that allows the customer or the client to then get better results. On that, um, uh, I know some of, my, some of my students will probably be listening and they've, they've heard you mention intensity a couple of times there. So in your live classes, what do you use to gauge intensity or to, to communicate how hard someone should be working in your live class? It's the same as what we probably already would use. It's going to be load, volume, reps, you know, heart rate. 
they're they're all gauges of uh, gauges of intensity. And again, the big thing is, I would always come back to people to say it just depends on how you feel today. So I'll go through a workout and I'll explain here what we want to do, and don't over-explain it because I think it's easier to demo things and get people to jump in. I always kind of come back to like if you're teaching to a kid, you're going to lose them in a five-minute explanation. Yes, you will. So give them thirty seconds, demo stuff quick. Let's get a quick round done. Do you understand what we're doing? Yes. Okay, great. Then you can up the weight, change the load if you want. But again, it depends on how you feel that day. You know, so it, it, we got to look at, at, at people like the likes of John Kiley, who's over in Lancashire in, in the UK. Super head on that guy. And if you read his paper on autoregulation and on periodized training, training, which everybody should have read at this stage. And again, this is a huge issue around, by the way, uh, personal trainers, in my opinion, um, not to take a go of personal trainers, but I do think there's a lot of issues within the industry. And that is that more personal trainers or trainers in general will tell you who the influencers are and yet they couldn't tell you who's the head SNC for Leinster Rugby or Irish Rugby. That's a problem. That's a huge problem because they're your peers. They're people you should know. So, um, but anyway, getting back to John. So if we look at what John has said in that paper, and which I think is, is really, really interesting, is that, again, he's saying his major message is that every program he writes is written in pencil, not pen. So to kind of paraphrase him, and he would agree with me, I know, because I've contacted him about this. So I'm willing to kind of scrub that out and go, oh, okay, you don't need to do that today. You need to change this. So again, if we've got to come back to giving the client permission to do what, and again, it's not to be namby-pamby about it. There's got to be a point where you say, well, hey, you told me that three times now. So there's a point now where we've got to kick it on a little bit, you know? Um, but yeah, that's that's how we kind of program things. Um, people can use heart rate monitors, which is a really easy way. So if I go into my Facebook group, oftentimes people will screenshot their heart rate monitor, um, the readout on Polar, if they're using Polar or Garmin. And then I can clearly see then, okay, will max hit like 177 today? So that's clearly a harder day than let's say I know tomorrow's got to be lighter day. So we're kind of using that flip-flop model of high-low day the whole time. And again, that's nothing new. That's been around since... The likes of Bill Barrowman, you know, in the 1960s and 70s, you know. Yeah, but I, it's important to realize that, that, you know, that the established stuff, the simple stuff works well. There's no need yeah. to, we can make things as complicated as we want. But like you say, you've got a, a fairly sta- established structure in your in your training there. And as long as you communicate clearly the purpose and why you're doing these things, well, then you'll get good adherence. If you get good uh-huh. adherence... And Bruce, and also maybe I suppose something, uh, you know, I should also say about our program, it's massively varied. Like every single day is different. Every single week is different. So that's why it can take me, you know, two, three hours to write a single week sometimes because I'm having to embed videos that I generally have done already as explanations for what I want on, on, on each day. But, you know, if we look at something like a lunge and we say lunges, that lunge will not be the same lunge they will do next week or even for the next five weeks, because we know we've got maybe, what, 10 different options on lunges. We can use it overhead, single arm, banded, paused. You know, there's a whole range of options. So I think people become a bit too fixed on on making certain movement patterns in this hierarchy. They kind of go, well, the squat's really important or the deadlift's really, no, it's not. What's more important is, is the client showing up. Like that's way, way more important. And I find once you can teach people the basics, just keep changing them. Change how they're doing each movement because otherwise we're like the kid in the playground who's told, oh no, you can only play with the monkey bars now. Don't be looking over the other side there. No, play with all the toys. 
you know, and then just give people a, a good movement literacy on what they're doing. Yeah, that's kind of how a similar method to how we approach um, some of our teaching in WIT when we're doing uh, with, with the students who, again, are going out to, to uh, get their, fit, their personal trainer qualification. They obviously have to learn how to, to teach the exercises. And rather than spending 12 weeks uh, with whatever, two hours a week, where in that two hours we'll teach them 10 different exercises, we've kind of turned it around and said, right, we are going to do a deep dive on five compound exercises. And it's about the teaching method. And if you can learn how to teach those five methods, to teach those five exercises really, really well, you can apply that method to any other exercise that you come across. Absolutely. With, a, with a little bit of research, a little bit of homework, find out what joint actions are involved, what muscles are involved. You know, just think about the move and then you apply your teaching method to it rather yeah. than, you know, giving you a, a 500 page document with 500 different exercises in it. Teach how to teach rather than teach the individual exercises. So I think yes, yeah. and again, the only way around that is is you got to get in the trenches. You got to put in the practice. Um, you've got to you know not think that like I'm going to jump from being you know a coach that has never worked in a commercial gym or never worked in a setting with with people at all to I'm going to teach online. Well, you've skipped the whole middle part where you can understand, like I could I could see somebody from 20 meters away doing a squat or a lunge or a push-up and go, no, I'd change that. You know, I don't, like your eye needs a lot of training. And the only way you're going to get that is you do it over and over and over again and then get mentorship with coaches that you respect um, and be okay but stealing everything. Steal everything I post up, absolutely everything. Take it all, use it, apply. Oh, yeah, I like what he said about that. Yeah, yeah, do it all. Credit would be nice, but, you know, I would strongly recommend that people kind of borrow from other people um, and um, and be okay about kind of, you know, applying it in their own way then. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And just to, to, to give uh, some a little pointer to the students there, I've mentioned this on my own social media, but you your YouTube channel and your Instagram in particular are very, very much focused on putting out good quality exercise demonstrations and tutorials. There's a huge library of of, uh, of information there. And my, what your YouTube, did you say 300 videos on YouTube? Oh, there's, like, there's way more than that. But I yeah. think just even since lockdown, I think I've done maybe about 140 um, just exercise uh, videos where I just kind of cleaned them up and w- wanted to make them my own, um, wanted to make them look a little bit better. Um, so yeah, I've, sp- I've spent, but again, like the, you know, what else are you gonna do with your lockdown time? Like, it, it, and again, this is a huge thing within the industry is that I think it, since lockdown, what's happened with a, lot of, with a lot of coaches is that they've actually let their clients down, in my opinion. They really have let their clients down because they've said, well, I don't have any gym, so I'm going to throw my toys out. Oh, this is terrible. You know, open the gyms up. This is crazy. But like, well, how is that serving your customer? you got to get in there and give them stuff, give them stuff to do from home, you know. And so it doesn't it doesn't really, you know, it, obviously a lot of people have been hit in different ways, but it doesn't mean you can't keep yourself busy doing different things that, you know, give you then a library that's there forever, you know. So I, yes, I post a lot of stuff like that, but then I also, you know, I, I, I post a lot of, you know, what are we doing this all for and, you know, what does fitness mean and, you know, just different suppose, ramblings I, I would have around, uh, around fitness and health in general then as well. Yeah, there, there is loads that I would direct my students to it because there's loads of information. And like you said, they can have a look, they can steal some of your, your ideas. They can, I'm sure you're happy if they disagree with you on a few things or do things differently, but that's all part of it. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's all part it, of the learning experience. Yeah, it is. It is all all part of the learning. But you know, but overall, you know, I'm not doing this to be disagreeable. I'm doing it because I have 20 years of experience in knowing. You know what what do people need and. Um, it's, it's a little bit easier to, when you're coming from that position of experience to kind of say, look, you know, we just need to kind of have a lot of variance around the basics. How do we get people to be a little bit more consistent? And then just understand that the more intense that you work, then the more unhealthy you're becoming. So, you know, competition starts where health ends. So we just need to be careful with what we do with our clients and to be able to auto-regulate on the fly a little bit as well. That's a nice little segue into to, to another part of this podcast now would be to just to talk about how you got, how you've gotten to where you are. So uh, you started with a sports science degree from over in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, in Sunderland. And I yeah. actually I did physiology first in Carlo. Um, uh, and that was a two year cert back then. I think that's morphed into like a degree now. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they, they, they do. They've got uh, they've got a sports uh, sports coaching. They've got a couple yeah. of different sports related courses down yeah. there. That would be. Um, now, I wasn't going to age or, or date either of us, but you, you did mention you've got 20 years of experience in the in the business there. So yeah. the students know that you are at least 30 years of age now. Um, we uh, we I think we first met back in 2011. Uh, you were competing in CrossFit back then. Yeah. Um, prior to that, I think I, I have a feeling in my head that you were involved in your competitive in athletics before that. Athletics and basketball would have been my two kind of main sports kind of coming out of school. And then in uh, in college, in college, actually, in Sunderland, I played a year of American football then as well. So that was fun. That's yeah. That's there's, we've had an American football team in WIT as well, which uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was surprised to see that come up. It, it wasn't expecting to see that in Ireland. Yeah. Um. So let let's talk. So let's talk about that then. So once you completed your degree, what happened next? How did you get started in in, in the health and fitness industry? What happened next? And I would uh, I would prepare the graduates for a possible similar thing. Maybe I don't know if the industry has changed a whole lot, but I was I I knew I wanted to work in a gym. I just really enjoyed that atmosphere. I wanted to help people. Um, and nobody had a clue what a sports science degree was back then. Um, like it just, it, you went and you did your NCF or N, uh, NCT or whatever, whatever it was back then. And it was a short course. And it's just like, what are you coming here with a sports science degree? So um, I eventually got a job in UCD and uh, worked in uh, crunch fitness in UCD uh, for about three years. And then I headed up um, a new crunch fitness, which was in Dunleary. And I worked there for about maybe four or five years and then got completely burnt out and got to the point where I was about maybe 27 and absolutely hated going to work every day. Like to the point where I'm like, I'm getting sick just thinking about going to work. Um, and a lot of it was because it was being paid very, very poorly, um, probably about 20,000 pounds a year or 20,000 euros a year, having to live in Dublin, cycling to work every day. Um, killing myself then teaching maybe two classes a day um, and then we weren't even allowed to do any personal training at all like the, the, the owner just that wasn't a thing back then there was no remember there's no personal training it doesn't exist as an industry back then um, and then just I felt like I just need to leave because I'm just you know just felt terrible so started out and did some personal training with them um, with one client generally trained them in the beginning from local parks um, and it kind of just snowballed from there, you know, so uh, kind of hit, hit it then when we were in the Celtic Tiger, but I certainly didn't experience any Celtic Tiger of like, oh my God, I've got like a hundred clients a week. <laughs> 
because again, you can just burn yourself out just doing too many clients then as well. Um, so yeah, eventually kind of got into a little bit of CrossFit. Um, it was invited to join a CrossFit gym to kind of be based as a personal trainer from a CrossFit gym. So I just loved the atmosphere in there as well and uh, hooked up with the guys in CrossFit Ireland, which was the first kind of CrossFit gym in the country. Um, and then I kind of bounced around a couple of different CrossFit gyms and then co and then set up a gym. My brother in the meantime as well, he qualified as a trainer and we sold that business in February last year as well. And now he's a counselor. Um, so yeah, we've kind of done it all in the last, uh, last 20 years, you know? So yeah. How, how much do you think that you have, uh, evolved or changed based on, you know, the different experiences that you were going through? Like how different is 2011 Dominic from 2021 and how different is 2001 Dominic from, from 2011 Dominic? I would like to think, um, probably, a little bit more stable, um, a little bit more reflective. Um, just learned so much from my wife, to be honest, on a lot of things. Um, everything from, you know, her love of coffee to planning to, um, you know, uh, just slowing down a little bit. Even talking here, I need to kind of just keep working on, on slowing down a little bit. So um, it's, yeah, just probably a little bit more measured. I suppose like any person who starts out working in fitness, we can be maybe um underqualified but maybe overspoken in what we think we know um i've forgotten the phrase for that um the but dunning kruger effect dunning kruger is what i was thinking of yeah so i think you know i'm probably on the hopefully i'm on the tail end of that now at this point um but um no it, it's taken it's taken a lot of mistakes um many of them pointed out by my wife i have to say um who's been fantastic um but probably more measured as well when it comes to kind of understanding the effect intensity can have uh, with exercise then as well. So, you know, using it as a tool, not using it as a means to kind of beat people with either, you know. Uh, you mentioned being a bit more reflective there. Do you pay, place much value on reflect? I, I think I know the answer to this, but reflecting back on, on you know, what you've done. Like when I often encourage my students, they sometimes they can be a bit pigeonholed in, you know, what they like and I am going to be this when I'm finished. And I'd always try and encourage them to open their eyes and, and try a variety of different things out, see what works for you, what doesn't, and maybe adapt a little bit of this or adopt a little bit of that into, into what you do. Is that something you do in your, like you've said, you've come from basketball, from athletics, from CrossFit, from working in a, in a commercial gym setup to moving to be a personal trainer. How yeah. much do you reflect back on, 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 on what's happened or what is happening to you in order to move forward? Uh, well, I think there's certain things that have been obviously beneficial. Like if you, let's say, are, I don't know, working in a commercial gym, like you get to deal with the volume of people, which is great to develop the eye. But like that can be done in a sports setting, like with what we're doing now in our athletics club as well and working with kids, like you're dealing with hundreds of kids. So um, it's it's an it's an easy way to, to develop that eye. But I think it's it's I suppose COVID has been a very good way of putting a mirror up to yourself and kind of saying, well, how sustainable is my business? 
and and how sustainable is what I'm doing, and certainly that's what I've seen from what, what from what we've learned from it. And it's about like understanding like oh, is what I'm doing now something I could see myself doing in five or ten years, and what I'm doing currently right now today is definitely something I could do. Whereas what I was doing maybe a year ago, no, it, it definitely wasn't because it was working all the hours, and it felt like it was running from Billy to Jack the whole time. Whereas now I'm working less. And you know, uh, and and you know, probably making about the same. You know, um, it, there's obviously a huge amount of admin that kind of goes along with this as well. But yeah, probably a, a lot more um, reflective on what I've done. But then, like you said, not trying to pigeon myself into one particular area because otherwise, it, you become, I think, more fragile the more focused you are on one area. Because if there's a huge shift in that area then you're completely snookered. So if you're the guy uh, or the girl that says, well, I'm going to be powerlifting and Olympic lifting, and that is my jam and that's all I care about. And that's what I want to teach. Well, that's great. But like, where are you at right now? Like, you, you, you know, like most of your customers are not going to be able to do that, you know, in a normal setting right now. So I think it is important to kind of take that kind of Bruce Lee approach of taking bits from every area and then making it into what you feel is your own, but that your own should still form a, a kind of a, a cohesive sort of model in which you can train people sustainably and long-term, you know? Um, and remember the, you, we, the word we use sustainably is a word we came up with a long time ago because we wrote a book about the damn thing as well. Well, yeah, first things first, I'm going to steal that Bruce Lee reference. I like that. That's a good way um, of, uh, what was he? He was Wing Chun, wasn't he? Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to park that away and, and use that myself. But yeah, you you, you guys, uh, you, uh, were you referring, you, you wrote a book. Was that the book you were, referring, you were just about yeah. to refer to yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. So that's one of those things. So outside, I was going to ask you about it. Outside of the work that you do as a, as a sports scientist and a personal trainer, uh, again with your wife you uh, you are you guys are published authors so you have a, a book move train nourish so how did that come about and the uh, publishing company collins press originally kind of approached um approached us and then um they were interested in doing a book with us um and uh we kind of sold them on the idea of like doing it as kind of a 50 50 thing of nutrition and recipes and the little big things um, that Bonnie covers on like resilience, breathing, the importance of sleep. And those are that sort of side of the kind of wellness spectrum. And then for me, it was more on that kind of fitness and that kind of hierarchy of fitness and what's important. And then we took about a year to put that together. And that is not an easy process writing a book with your wife. Uh, <laughs> so that generally entailed uh, me being nailed to a desk and told you need that chapter to be done like in the next three days <laughs> so yeah if you really want to know what you think you know i would encourage people to write about it and i don't mean get on instagram and write this long rambling post that's not writing okay i mean write an article write a proper article about what you think you know because you'll you'll kind of get a far far bigger understanding as to what you believe is now true because you have to take a lot of the information from a lot of different areas and go oh, i don't know well you know you know uh you know mr cook is he saying a different thing on the mobility side of things than let's say kelly Strett is saying so who's right here so then you have to then you know use that kind of evidence from what you see in person to what you see in the research papers 
Absolutely, and, and you mentioned the research paper, and 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 I, the, the kind of the 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 overlap there between. Um, but between social media and between research there, I think first, you know, people can, particularly with your social media, we can all end up in a little echo chamber where, you know, you like something, then you see more of that, you like it again, you see more of that. And then all of a sudden you've gone down this little rabbit hole where you're just seeing, hearing the same opinions and the same things bounce back at you because that's what this Facebook or the Instagram algorithm told you. Uh, Yeah, but then on the flip side, you post, this is where I'm linking the social media in here, is that, you know, you do post a lot uh, about the research that you're reading, the the journal articles that you're reading. And, and you share that online. So how much time do, would you, do you set aside a certain amount of time to go find these articles? Is it just something that you, you come across? What would, just... Yeah, I've always had an interest. And I, I, it's not, you know, a very, a very kind of defined interest. I, you know, um, okay. So first of all, I have a library card. Okay. <laughs> so get yourself a library card, people. Okay. You can go in and get any book you like. I'll order for you. That's what I do. I go in and I'll get my books from the library. I order some online, but when the libraries were open, that's what I was doing. And I will take that book and I will write notes on it. And then you start to see threads in a number of different areas. So if I, um, what have I got right here? Uh, I've got the title of a book right here. Okay. So book right now I'm reading is by Josh Cohn. It's called, you know, um, not working. And it's on, on how as a society we've become fixated on, kind of putting again work on this pedestal of like, I'm working, never switch off, that kind of Gary Vaynerchuk sort of model of insanity. Um, uh, so he's kind of taking the opposite approach and going, well, there's no time for reflection. There's no there's no time. It's a bit like people who, let's say, over-exercise and then they've no, like, don't ask them to help you move house or anything like that. They're the whole time. And the only time they feel normal is when they're exercising. So if we kind of look at, taking ideas from non-conventional areas i think that's actually really really important and what i tend to notice is the people i really respect in even in my industry they're doing that also you know they're not reading their own stuff in their own industry because you get bored of it after a while anyway so i dip my toe in the certain people i listen to and go well alex hutchinson very rare he's wrong on things if Steven Siler puts something out, I'm going to listen to it. If John Kiley says this is important, I'm going to listen to him. And there's friends of mine that interview um, people on their own podcasts as well. And I go, yeah, look, if, if Robbie Burke's got him on, the guy's going to be switched on. You know, or if the guys over in Altus have got some of the on, the sprint kind of uh, guys in the US, then I know they're pretty switched on. So just have your resources that you kind of go to that are not influencer type people that are, you know, um, that are just, you know, just talking about kind of generalities. You know, this you may be getting into the weeds of things a little bit more, but it's generally it doesn't always have to be in conventional means, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really, really good advice. Between, like, on, on your social media then, or sorry, on the, the, the we've kind of hinted at this a little bit, but your, your career would have started before the advent. So it's only really in the last three or four years where social media has probably really taken off and people are seeing it as a viable uh, you know, you can build up an online presence and have a career through online training and social media. Um, before that, I imagine, like you said, there was a lot more practical a hustle and grind and mm. cycling to parks to meet your clients and, and, and getting around the place. Yeah. So, but you've made like a, a pretty successful pivot from one through to the other. Um, any advice for someone who might be starting out now? Mm, get more hungry. 
you know, have a mortgage to pay, have a kids <laughs> to feed. Like, I'm not joking. Like, I think people are just, they, there's not enough, there's not enough fire underneath their butt to kind of get them going. Like they're just, I was listening to an interview with Dawn Harper. She's a, a, a hundred meter uh, sprinter. Her, she was just wonderful listener the other day. And I thought to myself afterwards, she faced like, so, she's, you know, from a very poor part of her, uh, a part of America that she's from. And I thought to myself, you know what? Privilege really can be the death knell for ambition and success for a lot of people. So if you if you got everything, sometimes there's no impetus for you to kind of get up and do anything. So you have to put yourself in a situation where something has to work out. So when I left a commercial gym, I had zero clients. I had nobody. And I still had to pay my rent. So what are you going to do? You're going to make that work. So when a client says to me, like, I, I, you know, I'm not so sure I can make this session today. Do you know who's knocking on that door 20 minutes later? I'm knocking on that door because I'm like, I had to make it happen. And that same client says to me, well, actually, I own a hairdresser. And I go, okay, can I sit in your hairdresser on a Saturday and just talk to your customers? She's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, talk to them about fitness and health. Hey, you want need any advice? I'm going to be right here. And I sat every Saturday and I did that. You know, so people just, they think that putting posts up on social media and going, where are my likes? You know, I need to sex this up and show a little bit of this or show a little bit of that. Like for me, that's, again, like a phrase we would often use is that, it, 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 especially when it comes to social media and teaching fitness, is athletic over aesthetic. So we can keep pushing the aesthetic side of things and kind of talk about abs and butt and, you know, being shredded and all that. Of course, I could play that card. I look like that. I have no problem playing that card. It's too easy, though. Like, it's just, you're not going to get sustainable success with that because it, 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 it doesn't speak to all of your audience. It speaks to a really, really narrow part of your audience. So it's about, again, understanding what is the message, where are my customers, and how, and, and how can I get to talk to them? And do you know what where they are? Is they are there in your local town, left, right, and center, all around you, and you're refusing to talk to them. That's yeah. It's a you're you're echoing something that I was talking to another girl last night, uh, and I, she's got a fairly substantial online following, and we had a similar chat about the you know the the aesthetic, the glamorous lifestyle type posts that you put up versus the education and informative type posts. And her point of what was that, you know, you've got to be trust, trust the process, put out the informative, educational type content. You mightn't get as much engagement. You mightn't have the same high number of followers, but the followers that you have will be there for a reason. And they're the ones that you're, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the, the clients that you have are the ones that are going to make your career a success. Okay. Not someone that throws a like just for a, a yeah. because of a photograph. Ultimately, you know, what I come back to a lot, um, Bruce, is um, there's an article by a guy called Kevin Kelly, a very well-known guy within the tech sphere, okay? And he wrote an article called A Thousand True Fans, long, long time ago, must be over 10 years ago now. And his premise was very simple, is that all we need is a thousand people that want to buy what we have to sell. That's all. That's all we need. We don't need, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. We need people who are willing to buy what we have to sell. That's all. And you don't need thousands for to make that happen. So that's what I kind of come back to a lot of. Do we need to play the game a little bit? Yes, you do. You do need to glam it up a little bit. That's 
unfortunately how fitness is, is, is sold to people. And so you, you obviously have to dip your toe in the water, but not so much so that you have to sell yourself out to Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's reasonable. On that, so you, you, you've just reminded me of a question that one of the students uh, asked me to ask you. So I, I like that one. You said, you, you you know, a bit of the hustle was sitting in the, in the hairdressers there talking to the clients and, and trying to drum up some business for yourself. Uh, one of the, the students says they've heard you on the radio a few times. So how did you get started? You, sorry, tell us about the radio work that you do. I've done I've done various different TV or radio work for for years really, um, and I suppose when you when you get asked on um, to to radio, it could be on a, a very small topic, but they're really there just to kind of test the waters whether you can deliver what you have to say in kind of snappy bite size because everything on radio and even TV it's it's very quick. So you need to have your phrases down. Like I need to be like consistently Trump's intensity, you know, where competition starts. Well, you have, I've come up with all of these phrases that summarize the principles of what we teach in order, you know, it's like um, one I said today on a corporate thing where I said, okay, when we look at mobility, we've got to look at the three S's. We need to stretch, we need to do soft tissue, we need to do our um, our strengthening work. So again, that's really easy ways in which people kind of can remember what you're about. Um, so it, you only can't get asked back on if you're, you know, doing a good job. And um, I suppose getting on to Today FM have been on probably the most, and that's on the back of uh, a client of mine, uh, Mario Rosenstock. Uh, his show was on every Sunday, and I just got on. You know, it's not always with the presenter. Remember that you have to get on with. It's actually more about the producers and the researchers. So it's whether you kind of get on well with them, but. Again, I think some of it, it kind of comes back to, you know, just be willing to ask because it's the same with newspapers, it's the same with TV. Uh, you know, there's, they have slots to fill and they're just looking to fill it. So you have to give them something interest, interesting enough to talk about and then just be presentable enough that you can talk about the topic in a kind of coherent, in a coherent manner and have something to say. You know? Yeah, I think, you know, it's an important avenue and it's an important market there for some people who are getting started out because, you know, every county or in town, there's local newspapers, there's going to be local radio stations that, you know, you could potentially tap into, start start small, do a good job, Bruce, word of mouth. You've reminded me of something, actually. So years ago, OK, now people will laugh at this now. OK, so I did one year, once a week, every week for a year on country radio country radio and it was like they played a lot of like country western type music you know so not exactly my jam of music but i was offered the gig i got so much practice in that year because every week i had to come up with a new topic to talk about talk to Lindsay about it went dro- drove down to bray to do it that station i think is called something else now and then I, and then I, I drive back and again it was about maybe uh it was a good slot like it was it was good 15 minutes and that might not sound like a lot but to fill that time live on air, it, that's not always easy. So again, you've got to be putting in that kind of practice. You've also got to know your audience as well. So that was good practice for me. Did I make any business out of that? Absolutely zero business. Coming from that. <laughs> so again, there's the reality of, of it as well is that, look, you might take a shot. It might not kind of pan out in terms of getting more business, but was it good practice? Yes, it was. Yeah, you got the payoff later now. So, you know, you got to be polish yourself up a little bit for, for future exposure. Yeah, so I'm ready to talk to Bruce. Absolutely. You know, this is the, obviously the highlight of your career so far. Yeah. 
Um, listen, we've we've covered a lot, Dominic. This has been this has been really really interesting. I guess I think I'll 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 finish with with just a general question. So we're tired. You know, the the audience here. We're we're talking to students who are just starting out. Have you got two or three three things that you wish you knew when you were getting started out? Um, one, get a good accountant. Um, <laughs> two, get somebody that's really good at organizing because I'm not that really good at organizing. Good at other, um, you know what? I don't know. Um, I I think just just remain curious is probably a huge part of it. Don't pigeonhole pigeonhole yourself into one particular area because the more you do that, the more fragile you will become. So again, that's a kind of a Nassim Taleb sort of phrase of anti-fragility. Yeah, just I've always been kind of curious as well. If everybody's going in one direction, I've always been the, like I was doing CrossFit before nobody was doing CrossFit. Okay. I can vouch for us. Yeah, I was teaching cross uh, teaching yoga when nobody was teaching teaching yoga. I'm talking about you know how we need to be careful of how we imply intensity and sustainability in terms of exercise when when nobody was. So yeah, maybe that's just it. It's just kind of remain curious, uh, write things down, start a blog if that helps you to kind of put things into context. Uh, don't be afraid of putting your your work out there. You know, I think that's a huge thing for people people are a bit afraid they go well nobody's watching this like you know if you have that if you have that fear i i i read everything by the likes of seth godin um i think he's absolutely wonderful um in helping people understand that like you know you just have to keep putting the work in uh, stephen Pressfield's work is very similar like that is that there is always going to be that fear of i'm not good enough but you have to still kind of keep putting that work out there. And I would strongly encourage, I probably should have done this a long time ago, is I would strongly encourage all coaches to work voluntarily in their local community in order to gain experience and gain trust within their local community. And I think that's, I've certainly gotten a lot more out of being involved in our local athletics club than I could possibly have hoped for, even though at times it drives me mad dealing with a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds. No, that 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 you know that's actually a, a really nice spot to finish on. Uh, one of the things I keep saying to myself, and particularly since lockdown, is it doesn't have to be perfect; it just has to be done. And that's mm-hmm. you know giving yourself a, a permission not to try and chase perfection, and you'd be much more productive. Which I think hints echoes something you said there. But also, two of my previous I love when there's overlap between the, the guests on the on the podcast when they when they mention similar things. So I had um, a performance analyst, Alan Swanton, and his big thing was to be curious. Just don't be afraid to ask questions. And I had um, Shane Lahan, who's an SNC coach based in Australia. He's working with the Wallabies at the moment, mm. and he said, you know, that, that there's no that between him coaching the Wallabies um, versus coaching back home with your your under sixteen rugby team. He said you're probably dealing with the same range of personalities, and you're getting the practice in. You know that 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 stuff is invaluable. So yeah. I, I love when there's overlap like that when you when you yeah. echo what other people have said. Yeah. So listen. Dominic, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. That has been exceptional. I've really enjoyed it. Very informative, very direct, like really, really good style. I liked it. Yeah. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that chat with Dominic. He's the epitome of a nice guy. And with such extensive experience in the industry, he has a lot to offer anyone just starting out. There's plenty of valuable info in this episode. Here are my take-home points from my chat with Dominic. Number one, consistency trumps intensity. If you want a career with longevity, you need to keep your clients coming back. 
Anyone can throw together a workout that will leave your client in bits, but how long will they keep coming back to be flogged? Create a balanced program, keep it varied, and aim to get your clients training consistently. This will lead to success for them and for you. Earn specificity. For the average person, there will be some very general physical truths. Things like tight hips, weak abs, lower back pain. Plan to address these issues first with your clients. Focus on the fundamentals of movement. Do that consistently so that when you do progress to more complex and specific programming, your clients will be ready for it. Finally, stay curious and keep learning. Dominic is a well-read guy and he taps into all sorts of sources for knowledge and inspiration. Don't blinker yourself by relentlessly focusing on one topic. Be like Bruce Lee and embrace it all. Check out Dragon, the Bruce Lee story on Netflix to find out more about that. Okay, that's it for today. If you've made it this far, you might do me one more favour and share the episode. It would be great to spread the word and build our audience. As always, if you would like to get in touch, then you can catch me on Instagram at B underscore Wardrop. I welcome any feedback or suggestions you, yes you, might have for the show. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode.